Welcome to Twin Speaks is intended for mature audiences. Also, content warning, we will be discussing topics such as domestic abuse and violence. If you're okay watching Twin Peaks, you'll be okay listening to us. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. What if David Lynch wrote an episode of Seinfeld? For the answer to that question, listen to The Other Side of Darkness, an eight-part story by Sign Peaks that follows Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer on a dark and mysterious journey inspired by the mind of David Lynch. The Other Side of Darkness is currently in production with a cast of over 30 voice actors. Before the story premieres this fall, tune in now to hear exclusive interviews with guest stars and behind-the-scenes artists from Seinfeld. Listen to The Other Side of Darkness today on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, and welcome to Twin Speaks. Hello! Hello! You know what that sound means. Clink, clink, clink. We're back in person. We are tested. We are vaccinated. We are are living our, our best summer life. Yeah, if you can tell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just waving her arms right now, just like flailing. I, it's, we've done how many episodes, and I forget sometimes, like, we're, when I'm trying to explain what I'm, uh, as a podcaster, I'm like still just interpreting through my hand movements, or just, and I'm like, yeah, no one's gonna be able to see that. They're only going to hear me. So, anyway. We're both from Long Island. We, we speak with our hands. We it's do. a lot of. <laughs> Lots of hand waving, lots of gestures, <laughs> middle fingers and whatnot. <sighs> but Mike, high five! We made it! We made it! We made it to the season one finale! And what a finale. I know I have said thus far, and this is what I was waiting to tell you while we're recording, but um, I, I have enjoyed this show thus far. I really have. But I have to say, the final episode was, like, the moment where I was, like, 100% authentic by myself. Like, okay, not just for the podcast, but I really... I mean, I felt like throughout, I really did like it. But this was, I think, the confirmation that I liked the show throughout. Where I was like, okay, I'm invested in all these characters. I'm invested in the story. I'm not just invested in, like, you know, Coop is cute and blah, blah, blah. Like, I was like, okay. It's everything that's been sort of bubbling under the surface for the last seven episodes. This just like hits it. It it pounds it and it just like puts that little button. It puts all of our favorite characters in peril so that now we know, oh, I actually do care about these people. Like so much peril. I actually do kind of care a yeah. little bit about Dr. Jacoby a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I like I was actually scared for Shelly and all these different characters, and I was like, yeah. oh shit. No, I don't want something bad to happen. <laughs> don't get shit poo in your eye. Don't get shit. Oh, listen, we're going to have a whole conversation know, about how they need to build a shaft. Like, what? The, I know. The, who, I had to say, that was very nostalgic, though, because I like I had moments when I was a kid where I, I'm not sure if it was like the shower head wasn't working or something, but where I remember like my mom was washing my hair in the sink and I was like, oh, gosh. Thank God I never watched Twin Peaks at that moment. (laughs) You would have been scarred for life. Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about so much more. So much to talk about. Oh, yeah. Taking a drink. (laughs) Taking a drink. And we've got 
And, we, and we've got a little get a little a little surprise later too. A little surprise for the for the for the last part. All right, so Janine. Yes. Once you're in business with somebody, you're in business with them for life, like a marriage. Oh yeah. So death do you part. And we're in this business. We're in the podcasting business, Janine. We did it. We got our whole first season down. So with that, let's go step by step, scene by scene on this week's episode, The Last Evening. Uh, like proud is an understatement. I'm feeling cocky about this. <laughs> okay. Janine has had a glass and a half of wine. So <laughs> three sips and I'm I'm ready, Freddy, as can be. Okay, so we start out the final episode of season one with um I have to give credit to the opening credits and that proper silence. It gave like a really good like this is one of those again like david lynch does it all the time with silent moments but it was like holy crap like this is really happening no music needed because this is the final episode really it just felt really good and then um, click yeah like little hawaiian music playing yeah so much of hawaii has been in my life this past year it's very and i didn't realize that like I went to Hawaii, but still 60% of it was related to Twin Peaks versus... <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Which is interesting. So we have a solid opening credits. Um, and, okay. Donna and James enter um, Dr. Jacoby's, you know, home, leading from the last episode. And this was a moment when I realized, okay, Donna has huge Cooper vibes. And... She was able to like pinpoint what was it the the tape the coconut two seconds. I mean, she also just had a very good memory, but um, yeah, they're finding shit, <sighs> and I'm not sure how. Um... I'm still having this moment where I thought that Donna was definitely like the the a really bad character, but because of this whole final episode, I feel like she kind of was distra- like she, it was distracted by too many other characters, which I already have my answers for the end, but we'll wait till then. Okay. Um, okay. Big thing. Jacoby gets beaten by, I, I thought, and we don't know yet. I thought that this was Leo, though. I don't think that is anymore. I was like, either it's Leo or it's Hank. But what I do know is that, Apparently, Dr. Jacoby's back is made out of wood because... The man takes a hit. He takes several hits. He takes, like, a whole kingdom of hits. Like, it was just, like, knock, knock. But I had this moment where I was like, who in the sound engineering room, like, put in, like, a block of wood on his back and was like... And that's what, like, I mean, it was obviously, like, really louder, but I was just like... He has a plank of wood in his back with how um, this person was putting their, their fists on him. But, yeah. For the first time in this whole season, I felt bad for Dr. Jacoby. Because, I mean, anyone in that predicament, like, it's awful. Um, I don't know who it is. I'm guessing it's either Leo or Hank. Um, I did have a moment thinking that when they showed Dr. Jacoby, I was like, wait, so Dr. Jacoby was the person that was watching Maddie slash fake Laura. But then you realize it's this the silhouette behind him. And I'm like, okay, so there's too many people watching other people. <laughs> 
And we're watching them watching them watching yeah, them watching. I was getting a wide like watching a watching headache. Um, but yeah, so I am a little nervous of. Um, I thought that like Jacoby was dead right there, like there and then, but I don't think he is now. I don't know. I know you can't say anything, even with the season finale that I've seen, you can't say anything. Right. But. I will say nothing. Uh, how many? If I got a penny for every time you said that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Sarah Palmer screen screams <laughs> for for Doctor Jacob, and not maybe not yet. We haven't we heard can't... Sarah Palmer scream in a while. I forgot. <laughs> well, well, there was our dear friend Waldo last episode. Mm. R.I.P. How many times I thought my like I wanted to write R.I.P. all over my notes when I was singing, <laughs> <laughs> but I only had it for that one moment. Um, okay. Also, going to give credit not just the opening credits, but also that eye zoom. It kind of reminded me of the bird's eye. What episode is it? I think it's when they see the log lady. Um, and they go to those cabins. Like hers and the other one. But they had basically the pan zoom into Dr. Kobe's eye that flashes to the roulette uh, ja- uh, blackjack um, spinning table. I was like, ooh! I'm like, who's the director? <laughs> well, tune in. We'll find yeah. out later. <laughs> Which you'll More on that later. Um, but yeah, like five minutes in, it's already, I mean, I knew it was going to be intense, but it's like this season had, um, like last episode, as you said, the penultimate episode, it's kind of like two penultimate, like ultimate episodes, if that makes sense. Like it was at the same level as episode, um, seven in my eyes. Like you're saying that this episode had like the same feeling as like the last episode? A bit. Yeah. Like it just seemed like it was a, I mean, I get that like. When you have penultimate episodes and then the one after that is usually, like, slightly calmer with, like, giving you answers and, solu- like, conclusions to things and things. Which, this didn't happen at all. There was no freaking answers to anything. You really led me on that, actually, when we were going to do this podcast. I thought, yeah, like, season one, I'll, like, maybe I might find out Laura, Laura's killer. Maybe I might find out some things. I don't know. Nothing! Just left me... A- should have known to be cliffhangers, but anyway, okay, let's get back to the episode. Um, okay, so fast forward from Dr. Kobe's um, potential peril, and we have One Eyed Jax with that beautiful transition, and Cooper with his glasses and his tux with Jacques, who is the pervious character to date. I thought Jacoby was pervy, and then we have Jacques. Who is a piece of work. I'll just say that. He's also just like dumb. Yep. So he's not like Ben evil. But uh, yeah. He um, he got on my freaking nerves though. Um, yeah. I just wrote um pervy Jacques pervy. Um, yeah. So basically Cooper wins the table. Because that's Cooper. He would win no less. Um, gets a 21. Yeah. Like he gets yeah. Blackjack on his first try. Like, I they, like how he like, <laughs> pretends he thinks he's like, yeah, I know what I'm doing, but I really think he's all luck. He really, I mean. Blackjack is just pure luck. Wait, like, as I was no... saying that, I was like, wait a second, Janine. Like, black, it's literally based on luck. Right. Um, but still, knowing Coop and his trees <laughs> and his bliss. Anyway. Um, so, that a woman comes over, this whole Alice in Wonderland themed sort of uh, costumes, 
in all, card brazier, comes over to Coop and whispers to him, and yeah, Coop being Coop, shuts it down while he's on the job, and Coop then tips off, though, to Jacques that he knows Leo, and Leo's a friend. And that, to me, I'm not gonna lie, this was like a moment where I was getting a little bit stressed because I had no idea where it was gonna go because I'm like, he's obviously gonna play this guy, but this guy was so pervy on initial introduction and communicating that I was like, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god. It's gonna be really awkward. It's gonna be really awkward. Yeah. Um, okay, speaking of uh, Alice in Wonderland costumes, we have... Um, Okay, I know that technically Audrey is a high school student played by an actress who's 25. I get the hype. I get why everyone is um, basically like made her like a sex symbol, you know, and she became really famous. Um, oh my God. She like walks in with that number <laughs> uh, with Blackie. Um, and Blackie's like already like, oh my God, you're employee of the month. Oh, yeah. Even though she like basically broke in. Um, <laughs> broke in, lied. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you're going to meet the boss tonight. Guess what? Yeah. Oh, we'll gosh. With the boss. We'll get to that. That oh, was my will. biggest twist. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. I do want to take a moment to say I appreciate Blackie's um, dramatic office. It wasn't until this final episode that I acknowledged. I mean, we only saw maybe her office like one other time. And I acknowledge that her office is the same sort of red curtains and like the drapes which also now i'm just thinking how the drapes could connect to nadine i'm pretty sure i'm being more elaborative than i should be but they're all connected in my eyes um yeah so we have audrey gets a little bit of the a-okay from blackie being like hey you're gonna meet the boss and um i'm still anxious at this point but i do give uh, 12 points to Audrey for her um, charisma and her dedication. <laughs> we'll see how far that dedication gets. Yeah. In. Oh boy. Oh boy. But of course, what was it when Blackie tells her to choose a card? Of course she chooses the Queen of Diamonds. Of like, course. I genuinely, <laughs> like if I didn't see that scene and if you asked me like what card, uh, I, I swear I really would have chose the Queen of Diamonds. Yeah. That or like the Queen of, no, I was say like, the Queen of Hearts, but no. Nah. That's too soft. It's Hearts. too soft. Eh. Exactly. It's too soft for Audrey. It's too soft. Um, okay. So now we transition back to um, Cooper and Jacques. Have a little tete-a-tete. And Cooper... <laughs> a tete-a-tete <laughs> with Cooper and his tux. And um, yeah, so like Cooper has throughout this whole season, he like, you know... Plays the tango with Jacques, tricking him a little bit into things. And I just like how he outs himself by imitating Waldo. And it didn't even take, like, announcing that he's about to imitate Waldo. He just, like, I, I actually, every episode I have at least one moment that I replay, like, literally two or three times. Like, right <laughs> And so in this episode, the one moment I replayed four times... Was Cooper imitating Waldo saying, who was it? Laura! 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 But my instinct, though, is during this conversation, I had a moment and my thought process was, wait a second. When Jacques starts describing what was happening in that room, I'm like, holy shit. A person didn't kill Laura Palmer. 
Waldo <laughs> murdered Laura Palmer. I'm like, it was the bird. I was like, oh my God. And it also would be a good twist if the person that, if it was a person or Waldo or whoever, whatever killed Laura Palmer may be dead already. I never even considered that until this episode. So, yeah, Waldo threw off my all my theories, all of them down the drain. Um, yeah. So do you think Waldo also wrapped her up in plastic and tossed her in okay, the Okay, so Waldo like... had an clump accomplice. <laughs> okay, all right. Waldo's in deep with someone. He's in, he's in deep with some shady business. Yeah. Um... But, yeah, Jacques then, obviously, at that point, he's not only, like, pervy, but he's definitely up there with being, like, ugh, like, okay, these are one of the worst characters. I mean, again, he's dumb, but, like, the way he described that and Coop's face, that's definitely, like, one of those moments. It's, like, um, not that Cooper's, like, the father in this situation, but, you know, it's, like, one of those sort of, like, father revenge-like moments, and they're dealing with their, because there was a, some sort of crime that they're, avenging their daughter or something like cooper seems like that like he's really seems like he's so invested he has been this whole time but yeah Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. so besides waldo being the murderer of laura Palmer, <laughs> <laughs> jock goes to the top of my creepy character list um well even above ben even though ben is smarter i just ugh. just his lines um okay we transition next to um, Shelly. What was it? Gotta wash. The, what's that song? I gotta wash that duck right out of my hair. Oh, gotta know. wash that man right out of my hair. Oh, they should have been playing that song in that moment. Come on, David. <laughs> <laughs> I'm got. <laughs> I gotta wash that man right out of my hair. We're gonna have the Janine cut me. of Twin Peaks. The Janine <laughs> yeah. cut. Cut all scenes with Catherine and yep. Ben mm-hmm. and add that song in. And there you have it, the Janine cut. Yep, yep, yep. Probably the most, um, like, antsy physical moment for me. I, I was genuinely watching the scene when the person's just pulling the towel. And she's like, oh, not even just that, before the towel's pulled. And she places the gun so perfectly on the counter before she starts washing her hair. I was like, oh my goodness, she's going to accidentally grab the gun. And, like, shoot herself on accident. Which, I realize that's very far-fetched. But, like, the idea that she's just getting something in her eye and she can't see and she's about to grab it. I was like, that was, like, a flash moment of so many things happening at once. And I was like, holy hell! Oh, my God! Stop it! No! Okay, there's a person behind you. I'm like, oh, it's fucking Leo. Okay. <laughs> Leo, get out. <laughs> For some reason, like, I, Leo has such bad attributes. Like, he has such bad character traits. Like, he's abusive. He's horrible. I also think out of all the the actors in the show, I don't prefer this guy's acting as much. But at the same time, it it gets by because it's like a horrible character. So, but I don't know. Something about Leo in general that because maybe there's also a cross between not my favorite acting that it's a bit like Leo, get the fuck out! Like you're just not. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he's a little bit of like um. I'm just like okay, Leo. Like no one's taking you seriously. You need to leave. Yeah, that's that's a very popular opinion about about his acting. About or? his acting, yeah, okay. it's he's it's you know they How they try to make him. I, I remember when I first watched Twin Peaks, I was kind of like, this guy is like not intimidating. Like I yeah. could take this guy. Like this yeah, guy is he's not. Lying at- 
Yeah, I don't I don't buy it. And like he kind of delivers all of his lines very like monotone and the same. After watching it like a few times, um Yeah, I I, I start to buy it a little bit more, I feel like every time I watch it. Yeah. Um just because like he's just like creepy. He's just creepy. You yeah, know? I do get that even if some like talking of a sort of like a person that's abusive in that nature, like they sometimes like they won't they have a bit of like a void. They don't really have much like emotion they're bouncing off of or whatever. And so like in a way that's why like even when I'm criticizing from an acting standpoint, I'm also kind of like it just, yeah, it plays off where I'm kind of like, no, he can still come off as like this genuine abusive character towards Shelly. And like, he's an annoying person and he has all this, he does play frustrating well, like, or he's just like annoyed 24 seven. Yeah. But yeah. So apparently with that construction in the house, there's no shower and she had to wash her hair, you know, in the sink. And now Leo has a hold on her, which I, I assume this is one theory I got correct in my head. I had a feeling before the end of the season, it was going to lead from, uh, it was going to have, like Leo was like waiting outside the house. And I'm like, yeah, there's going to be a pivotal moment towards the end where he's going to face her again after that really bad standoff they had prior. Um, and it's yeah. Eric Daray, by the way. I was trying to think of the name. Eric oh, Daray. Gotcha. Sorry, Eric. Don't hate me, but I'm just being honest. And <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you have quite the resume. Um, <laughs> I don't know that he does. I don't know what else he's been in. I've never really seen him in anything Okay, else. I take that back. So good for you, Eric. <laughs> you, you were on one of the biggest television shows of the 90s. <laughs> hey, make it, bank it, and then leave it all behind. Check the gate. That's... <laughs> I respect it. Okay, so we have, um, let's see. Next scene. <laughs> okay. So we have next scene, and this is something, probably the funniest part, or the most David Lynch part of this episode, is that I cannot keep track of how many um, fish analogies and walkie, like the way that they decided to communicate walkie-talkie style. The trout is on the hook, Truman, <laughs> or something like that. And then we got him on the line. I'm going to reel him in. Like, it's just like so much. <laughs> you still got that fish taste from the from the, from the fish in the percolator. Like, it was just making me think of like all those guys on Hinge or dating apps that have like, what do they think is the best thing that a woman would want to see on the dating profile? Them holding their fish. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the most like masculine moment for these guys. And I'm like, okay. But also pretty like hilariously boyish, like adorable. But um, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> So Andy tells Harry that um, Lucy has still not talked to him. Jacques pulls the into the plant and basically is surrounded by cops, which is what we had planned. Well, what Coop and them all had planned, so we expected that to happen. But okay, this is probably the most fire emoji moment of the episode. Who shows up when Jacques steals Fred's gun on accident and almost? Who's in the line of fire, Truman, and who comes and saves the day? Andy. Woo! Andy, Andy, Andy. Our boy Andy. Never what I thought from episode one. <laughs> sensitive Andy. Nothing wrong with being sensitive, 
but emotional all over the place like Blanche Dubrah Andy flipping saves the day like what was it like three four episodes he he couldn't even get his gun out right like he dropped his yeah. gun and it fired what and... happened maybe it was the frustration he was having with Lucy and he's like you know what I gotta prove myself prove myself gotta prove myself it's just that adrenaline you know yep but man a whole level i mean usually i would not gain res- like respect when it involves guns but i knew in that scene that moment andy saved the day for what was needed that's a that's a jump out of your chair moment that for was sure. for sure i genuinely my jaw did drop and i'm surprised i did not rewind because I, I i used all my re- rewind cards on the, the, the <laughs> on, on cooper and the bird Laura. <laughs> but yeah very proud of andy all all like all around all applause um so going to a more somber note into the next scene we have james maddie and donna return i think back to donna's house to listen to the tape that they found at dr kobe's place this one missing tape that has Laura's recording. And of course, by no surprise, it's basically sort of like the pivotal moment. Like we already knew that Laura was um, complex, had really rough situations and trauma and dark uh, fate, like spots in her life that she was going through. Um, But this was sort of like the big, big moment for James. I really felt bad for James in this moment. James is a softie. Yes, we know that. Um, but this was just like, oof. And also the way he took it was really kind of like, I was also, you know, straight from Andy, proud of Andy, proud of James too. Like he's, I think out of all the teenagers, James has actually got a lot more of a head on his shoulders than people believe he does. I'd say that's fair. I mean, he's very, he's very emotional. Yeah. And he's very... He, he tends to, like, respond in, like, outbursts a lot of times. But mm-hmm. in this moment, he seems to just kind of, like, It's more like a closure. Like, yeah. I think that was a closure for him. Like, he was longing for her. He definitely, you could tell that his heart was always with Laura. But to get her own words of what she felt, what she saw him as, or at least for her. And you could tell, like, she was this person that was heading towards a path that was, like, she was making her own choices, and she was also just really lost in her own way. So, yeah, I do think with James, it was kind of like, he goes, no, I, what was it, like, I needed to hear that. Like, I need that confirmation. And then in a way that he just seemed like he was so, obviously hurt, but uh, aware and certain of, like, yeah. He seemed like he was finding his closure in a way that was like, oof. But I think that would lead to, like, sort of a really good, um, it makes me question of like what will happen for him in season two, really. Yeah. So that was interesting. But um, yeah, Laura got to tone it down. I know she's dead, <laughs> but <laughs> Laura got to tone it down. Really lights my F-I-R-E. <laughs> I was like, Laura, like, sweet Jesus. And then what was it? Mr. Hayward walks in or like someone walks in. And I'm like, uh, yep. <laughs> pause the tape, pause the tape. <laughs> click, 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 click. <laughs> Um, yeah, okay, I do have to ask this one quick question. Did James's hair get darker from episode one to the end of the season and episode eight? His hair looks like 
pitch black, like night black. And I'm like, I don't remember his hair being that dark when he's introduced. So I saw I, I saw your notes on this, and I have a theory that I'll explain more later when we go through the behind the scenes. Ooh, I don't okay. think anything is different with his hair, mm-hmm. but I think it might be that they're using a, like a different filter. I'll explain it more when we get to the behind the scenes. Oh, Ooh, okay. Yeah, hmm. I don't think his hair changed, and maybe it did. Maybe he like put some. I don't know, Rogaine in it. Like, part of me was thinking, like, magic is symbolic of, like, all the dark, like, truths that he's learning. Right. <laughs> His hair just gets darker with each amount of, like, <laughs> what he's learning. His heart is getting darker just because of how much it's getting crushed from Laura and like, the he's, truth there. He's using just for men. <laughs> There's this great, a little aside here, but there was this great, um, I think it was when Jerry Seinfeld was... Um, and shouts to our sponsor, Sign Peaks, because now I'm mentioning Jerry yeah. Seinfeld on our Twin Peaks podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry Seinfeld was announcing for a Mets game, and he was talking to Keith Hernandez, who at the time was a spokesperson for Just for Men. Yeah. And Jerry was like, like picking on him for it. He's like, <laughs> Keith, what are you doing? You look like a Sharpie. Oh <laughs> so now every time. Anyway. So maybe, maybe James, he's he's looking like a Sharpie. Maybe. Yeah. Using that just I, for men. I definitely agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny side note. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, no, that was like my biggest... I know that's probably not, not the most interesting question, but that was like one of my biggest questions of this whole... T- <laughs> I'm like, James dyed his hair, right? Come on. Um, this also might be far-fetched. But so from this scene that we have with Donna, James and Maddie, we then have like a transition. But again, I wonder how much David Lynch really goes into this. But they talk the very final like dialogue that happens in that scene is about how the necklace, the two necklaces or like the split necklace like necklaces. And then it literally goes from that to the lumber mill with a log of wood being split in half and I was like I wasn't even on anything like I was just like very much just like okay yeah I'm like I wonder if that was something in the writer's room or like actually thought out and like I wonder really I just really want to have like one moment where I could look at like David Lynch's like writing notes for the show or like uh, that would be or just even any of his films that would be so cool so with the log splitting um, at the lumber mill, we have Leo basically has Shelly hostage, annoying Leo as he can be. And this is what confused me. Like, he makeshifts a bomb? Like, he made a bomb? Leo can't? Absolutely no. not. Absolutely not. I don't think Leo can spell his own name, <laughs> let alone build this little, like, spark device. I just don't, like, he was... <laughs> Like, surveilling Shelly outside of the house that time. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to make a bomb. Like, it doesn't add up to his character. Like, it would have made more sense if he just, like, like dragged in, like, a microwave and, like, plugged it in and tossed some, like, tinfoil in it. It really, like, went... I was like, wait a second. It basically has... And he goes, you have one hour to think about your behavior and what you did. I'm like, what is this? Saw? Like, excuse me? (laughs) Leo is not that sadistically crafty right he's just like (laughs) so yeah 
That was a bit shit. Leo becomes a Bond villain. <laughs> yeah, transition. Totally different segue. Totally different story. Spin-off series. I don't want you to talk Shelly. I want you to die. <laughs> but yeah, Shelly's in the shitter, um, for lack of better words. <laughs> Sorry to make you spit out your rhyme. But, you know. <laughs> Shelly's in the shitter. Shelly's in the shitter. I, don't, I mean, she doesn't have a shower, but yeah, she's in the she's... shitter. It's <laughs> uh, probably the best line I've had this whole season. <laughs> save save the best for last, Janine. Yep. Okay, but, um, yeah, we go to Crafty uh, Leo, and next scene we have um, Red Plaid Blanket. My instinct is red drink to that but keeps getting darker and we have nadine in a like this sort of like fairy tale pink dress and she's deciding to take an end to her life it's really it's such david lynch has a or in like and the people that direct these episodes the way twin peaks is um crafted and sculpted it has this very uh, weird combination of like and I know we've talked about this before, but like taking, as you said, you've mentioned many a times, the darkest darks and the lightest lights. And so like this sort of idea of like her being in a fairy tale dress and the music that's playing in the background. And almost that like she's making it, again, this very, very dark situation and making it sort of poetic in its moment or she's making it something special to herself. Like it was really dark to interpret that because it's like, Twin Peaks has a telenovela lightness to it, but it has a, there's no other person to describe it, but a David Lynch darkness to it. So like, I don't know. It's very, that was intense. It's deeply unsettling. Yes. And it's also even just a short scene and it's just like, oh God. And I am very nervous about where that's to head because I just put, oh no, Nadine, really extremely sad face emoji. Ugh. Yeah. Breaks my heart every time. Yeah, that was tough. Um, so we go from one dark scene to another semi-dark scene. I genuinely just wrote in my notes, fuck off, Hank. That is all I wanted to say because you know it's really interesting when you actually have men competing for like the shittiest title award. Like <laughs> that's what I find interesting about the show. Like, and I still enjoy it while I'm watching all these like really sh- shitty men. But like Hank's up there. Jacques up there in a different sense, but It's Leo- like this episode especially. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Extremely. Um but yeah, so Hank has his so I'm going to keep saying this. <laughs> He's not worthy of a tet-tet-tet. Cooper gets the tet-tet-tet. Hank has his situation. With... monologue. <laughs> yeah. His monologue that is undeserving. He talks a lot of talk. That's the thing with Hank. I think him and Ben are up there being like very... Ben is business savvy evil manipulative while hank is just like that sort of he's personally like a little bit triggering when i listen to hank because hank is like the type of guy that's just very have you ever seen nightcrawler i have not Ooh, i recommend it and anyone listening if you have seen nightcrawler i think you might know what i mean if not i do recommend watching it if you have the stomach because it's like a very a lot of cringeworthy like worthy moments but it's a very well-crafted film but 
my segue is, is basically, like, Hank is kind of like a similar character from Nightcrawler, where it's, like, a person that's so powerful because of their very meticulous choice of words and how they're trying to just get what they want, but they're very good at it just by how they speak. And that, to me, is, like, that's why I think Hank might actually be up there number one as, like, he's the worst. I think there's something about him where it's just, like, when they play off this sort of vulnerability and innocence or like, I know I've like, I've learned my way and blah, blah, blah. I could go on about it. But Hank has like one of those moments, especially here at that monologue with Josie, who is essentially, at least in my eyes, been one of the most, like one of the more vulnerable characters and been in a lot of like, you know, thin ice situations because people out to get her. Um, But he basically, yeah, like, he goes from just trying to like persuade her and I like how she keeps her foot down and just says that I did think this was so satisfying he has all this shit to say and tries to cover it in velvet and then she's just like says the same line we have we had an agreement like that's (laughs) it and I I love people who are so good at just less is more and they just say the exact thing that needs to be said and that's it so yeah Kudos to Josie. Kudos, major kudos to Josie. And she keeps wearing that beautiful, beautiful blue and green and black woolly plaid coat. Probably one of my favorite, favorite <laughs> items in the like uh, fashion statements in the whole show. Even aside from the funeral fashion trends that were happening. Um, <laughs> but yeah, to get off the stupid Hank note. But basically, uh, but it has to end on this flippin' sort of like were blood partners that to me was so like that was a there was already confirmation with how he spoke but it was just like really hank you're just a fucking prick like yeah i hate anything to do with like blood on like hands or like fingers or like especially wrists oh goodness don't watch supernatural so much of that (laughs) (laughs) can't do it um yeah so then we go from Josie and Hank's blood bond to, um, don't mind, I'm using a lot of, like, words where it's, like, what was it I said before? Like, Shelly and the Shitter, blood bond. A lot of alliteration. A lot of alliteration. I did have my MMO, like, what was it, you brought pizza, and I was like, I said pizza, and pino, and peaks (laughs) in my head. Peaks, pino, and pizza, that's what we got here. Yep, yep, yep. And, okay, oh, and I will just point out before going to the next scene. The antlers on mm. Hank's head. What a... He's the devil. Yep. Ain't that the truth. Um, okay. So, transition from that, as I said, blood bond. We have Peter and Catherine the Karen. Um, Catherine the Karen is a little bit nervous because she knows that second ledger, the account ledger, is gone. Like, it's missing. And this pissed me off because we could all read between the lines with Catherine, but she tries to pull also, it goes from one manipulative scene to the next manipulative scene. And Catherine just tries to pull a fast one on Pete going down memory lane, being like, I don't know what happened to us. Obviously our marriage is a wreck. And then she starts trying to kind of pinpoint things she's done wrong, but really deep down, let's be honest. I know I'm still early fan of Twin Peaks. She's just trying to get him to like, out where the freaking ledger is. That's all she wants. 
I don't I don't know if she is. And I, I, I think you can interpret the scene either way. Mm-hmm. You can interpret it as she's being manipulative. And certainly, like, the look on her face when Pete gives her the big hug at the end. Like, she kind of rolls yeah. her eyes. I can definitely see that. But I genuinely think... I, I prefer to think that there is something genuinely good inside of Catherine in this moment being forced out by the fact that she is literally in a corner right now and has no one else to turn to and that okay. Pete is this like charming dopey helpful guy who like oh, he, yeah. doesn't see, he doesn't want to see his wife get hurt oh yeah I definitely believe Pete like through and through yeah. I mean I think that no matter what Catherine has motive but you do have a point where like if someone's put into a corner I mean, she does make the choice in which she does speak. She doesn't seem like she... She does seem like she's aware when she speaks out loud about her faults. Like, she goes and she's like, yeah, like, I know I've done this and this. And like, I've been a fool. But, like, I, I do think a little bit of when she was saying it, she believed herself. I don't think she was just saying it to say it. Yeah. Um, so this, I do see a point there. But I still think it's a, a huge part of it is motive, though. Yeah. This is one of my favorite scenes, like, in the entire series. Really? It really is. I don't know why. There's just something so, like, there's just something so charismatic about it and, like, beautiful about it. And you learn a little bit more. Because, like, at the beginning, you're like, what are these two doing together? And then you kind of learn a little bit more about their history. And I, I like that. That's what I like about Twin Peaks. I like learning about, like, the characters' histories. Anyway. It did have, like, a little bit of a, especially when they get into the next room and they're, like, looking through the books. It's, like, a bit of an I Love Lucy sort of, like headbutts the comical way at that point yeah. i do agree with you yeah for sure transition to the station house and we have what was it we have andy truman what was it fred they're all going like because now andy's ego is about to get inflated because he is i mean it is a moment to appreciate for sure because i was still appreciating but they all bask in the glory and heroism that is andy saving the day and um, we have a moment I have been waiting for where this is what I found comical. Like the guys were like, oh, just go over there. And they, he literally goes three feet away, five feet away from the guys to this awkward accordion door, coffee, <laughs> at, like a closet, basically, <laughs> to talk to Lucy. And I'm like, every, I literally wrote, I was like, there's no way those accordion doors are soundproof. Like, <laughs> what? But that aside, Andy finally pulls out. Like, I mean, he just had a great day at work. Like, he just saved the day. What is he going to do? End it with a kiss with Lucy. But what do we know? We have a little invitation to love moment. She's pregnant. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum. Bump. She's got a bump. She's gonna get a bump. She's got a bump, bump, bump. <laughs> She's gonna have, yeah. So, yeah, that was a moment. I mean, I knew they had a thing, but that's gonna be interesting to see where that goes in season two. And it's potentially gonna involve Andy Lucy being a family. Hmm. So, I'm all for it. And I thought that was quite cute. But that, definitely don't choose that closet coffee accordion door space to have uh, private conversations. Um, Yeah. So then we go to the hospital and Cooper and Harry interrogate Jacques 
And Jacques just like a giggly whatever. And um, he says that Leo had hit him with a whiskey bottle and that was like part of their arguing and then he couldn't recall much stuff. And, but that when he came to and Leo and the girls were gone, this is what's weird. I really don't think Leo is the murderer. I feel like if he is, I'm going to be really pissed because I feel like he's so void of complexity that can make it more interesting, if that makes sense. Um, that if he was a killer, like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, I, I get that down the line, he's clearly been the accomplice and a murderer of other people. Um, rest in peace, Jacques' brother, I think it was. Bernard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Bernard. <laughs> um, Who looks nothing like him and has a completely different accent. But yes, rest yeah. in peace. <laughs> Good point. Um, but yeah, so basically Jacques kind of confirms, and I love the way Cooper put this but he's like he's too dumb to lie <laughs> i'm like yeah that's a really good way of summing it up not wrong yeah but doc hayward confirms that he's stable and yeah they believe his story clears and um that and cooper basically believes that leo must have taken the girls to the train car himself and um oh yeah this i knew was potentially gonna cross over but now it's starting to get into the station house group that Jacoby, who's alive, which I was like, whew, you know, I'm like, oh goodness. I'm like, that, that would have been a way to die. But Jacoby's alive, and now they're hearing the fuss that he saw Laura. And little do they know, it's fake Laura. But yeah, um, things are, my head's spinning at this point. Let's just be honest. <laughs> um, yeah. So... Okay, this, Bobby in this episode, I do have to say, um, oh wait, sorry, scratch that. Yeah. I'm going to say one thing. Yes. Before we move on from that scene. Mm -hmm. Jacques says that he walked 15 miles back to town. No, I really don't buy that. That is 15 miles, hungover, (laughs) bleeding. He's not a healthy guy. He can't be. Based on everything we know about him. Yeah. 15 miles? Like, I struggle walking 15 miles. Like, that's a far walk. And in, like, like hilly, like, deep state Washington? Absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. And knowing him, he's, like, chuckling. He's like, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, dehydrating and dying. No. Yeah, that's... I don't buy it. I'll buy it anyway one of those moments where you're like this is a show (laughs) (laughs) this is television (laughs) (sighs) so we go from the hospital back to Catherine and pete and they're looking through the shelves no book to be found and um but Catherine gets a phone call and what do we know it's hank my least favorite character Anonymously, like anonymously telling Catherine that the book is in the shed, which the shed did confuse me. I didn't know that this was like a particular location that people knew about, but, um, and Pete's just busy looking at his yearbook and having that moment. Like I said, it was an, I love Lucy quick little snippet, but, um, and then she grabs her gun because everybody's got a gun. Everyone's got a gun. Everybody's got a gun. But Pete's got his old high school yearbook. <laughs> um, so Lucy gives Harry the message that um, 
that's from Leo. This was all, okay, I do have to give credit to the scene that happens here because it's like a one pan that goes to all these different little moments right in the front area of the station house. But we have Lucy gives the Harry, um, gives Harry the message from Leo and Leo, yeah, air quotes. Yeah, air quotes, I should say. Um, and she says she heard a clock striking in the background and Nancy Drew moment for Lucy knows exactly where that clock is located. Um, Lucy doesn't get enough credit for how much she just helped with the case there. Just saying. She's but. constantly helping out. Yeah, she is throughout the yeah, whole season. Absolutely. From like episode one, she's like... She's doing that and also serving the coffee and the donuts and all these other things and taking the calls. Like, I think... Deserves more credit. Yeah, she needs to be promoted is basically what I think. Um, but... Um, yeah, so then we have, um, Cooper instructing Hawk then to set a perimeter around that area where the clock is, what was it, Easter Park, and James then comes in being like, I gotta tell you something to Harry and Coop, and then Coop goes to James, and they go head off, and then of course Leyland walks in of all people. (sighs) This was a moment where I was like, it was funny because it's before the next scene, but I made a very quick theory, and I was like, holy shit. What happens if Leyland was the murderer all along? The most emotional character of the whole series. The one who's been, I mean, the father of the daughter that is murdered. Like, what happens if it was him, though? That would be a master plan. I mean, it would be really, yeah. So, Leyland enters. He heard about Jock. He's ready to fuck shit up. Um, And then, I do like this camera pan from Leyland's dazed moment of just saying hospital (laughs) and hospital hospital and it goes straight to coop and james about this tape but booby trap bobby (laughs) bastard booby trap bobby his plan worked and now coop and truman are looking at james and they're like you need to explain yourself and there's drugs on the table from his bike because of booby trap bobby Yep, it's not looking good. So much shit is happening. <laughs> so long, Easy Rider. Then we get to um, finally, which I wasn't sure if this was ever going to happen. I didn't want it to happen, but it was happening. The Icelandic investor, um, I don't remember his name. You not know. important. Okay. Not important. <laughs> Sorry, but the Icelandic <laughs> investor, he prepares and he's going to sign the contract. Of course, of all places, they're at One-Eyed Jacks. And... Um, then we have Hank calls Ben to tell him that Leo Johnson will get a house call and to black flag the firebug. This is so much stuff that's happening, Mike. Like, it, this is what I mean by, <laughs> by penul- two penultimate episodes. I was like, this is the mother load. Um, yeah. So now we have Bobby enters the Johnson house who's like basically Bobby's like he thinks he's doing things well and yes he plant he planted drugs in um James's motor uh, motorbike but he's also like five steps behind um so he <laughs> enters, he enters uh, the Johnson house and Leo finally has his head to head with Bobby and Bobby being Bobby's like I was looking for you like oh like hey axe axe <laughs> Like Bobby, Bobby thinks he's winning at tic-tac-toe, but really, like, Leo's <laughs> playing 3D chess. Exactly. And also doing poorly, because it's Leo, <laughs> who can apparently build bombs. Yeah. And so we come to this huge halt of an axe, 
Bobby and Leo, and what do you know, when Bobby thinks he's about to meet his fate, pow, Hank, my least favorite character, but he also took out one of my other least favorite characters, pow, right through the window, Leo's down, and he has a little snippet of invitation to love before his final demise, it seems. Um, though I wouldn't be surprised with David Lynch that, like, Leo survives, <laughs> and... Sarah Palmer screams for Leo? Mm, we'll see. Maybe. We'll see. There's too many dangling. Yeah. dangling. Who knows? But yeah. The whole sort of um, lining up the parallel of uh, Montana and Leo. Mm-hmm. And also, if again, going back to that Lynch-Kubrick love affair, mm-hmm. this is very clearly like that final scene in The Shining, just... Jack Torrance running, like running through the hotel with the axe. Oh yeah! I mean, come on, come on, dude. Do you not think we were paying attention? <laughs> come on. <laughs> um, so we have Shelley struggling, tied up in ropes. I do give Shelley. I know I gave her credit in the other episode. She's a good crier. Uh, she's a good crier. And she's in this apparent shed with this sort of saw scenario with the bomb. And then Catherine, of course, walks in because she was led to the the same location. This I find hilarious. Like, not that it's a very hilarious scene if I was in it, obviously. But (laughs) Catherine is just like, I'm thinking. No emotions. There's a fire starting with a bomb going, a makeshift kitchen shit bomb from Leo. And she's just like, whatever. She goes, amateurs (laughs) amateurs <laughs> and she's just like i'm thinking and then she just saves this is my one moment where i was like okay now i get why you're having a little bit of a heart for Catherine because i was like oh Catherine has some decency in her body she actually was helping someone survive with okay. the action music like playing in the background yeah. <laughs> we're, we're going full james bond in this episode just um great stuff yeah i found that really hysterical and i'm like okay you get you get 70 you get three quarters of a point (laughs) (laughs) um so at least we know shelly survived and at least we know well i mean apparently leo can make a, a a bomb but then we have okay next scene fire alarm goes off in the hospital and okay the moment, like, this is one of those scenes where, of course, they're not showing the face right away and someone's choking, you know, or, like, smothering Jacques. And I'm like, it's gotta be Leyland. It's gotta be Leyland. You don't just have, like, the last thing with Leyland be hospital and then who else would it be? Right. <laughs> um, so they answered that for me quite quickly, panning to his face. But Leyland fucking... I knew he wasn't well. Sarah Palmer screams for Jacques <laughs> or No! You get a Sarah Palmer scream. You get a Sarah Palmer scream. Oh. <laughs> but yeah. But does not... he? Does he deserve it? I... Maybe maybe he'll get some like Waldo squawking. Yeah. <laughs> Waldo squawking for. Maybe. For right now. But yeah, that's like we've been feeling. There's been no happy moments for Leyland whatsoever because from the very beginning, the very first scene of the show was finding out the murder of his daughter. So, um, though I do realize now, like, Sarah has not made any cameos. Like, in general, her screen, her face, like, for a hot minute. 
but yeah, Leyland really fell off his edge. He was on the edge for the most of the season, and now he's like he jumped and. <sighs> Goodness Poor gracious! Leland. Yeah, I really feel bad. Um, then we have Pete asks Decker if anyone is in the mill and says he will check inside for Catherine. And this, I thought, I did think I was like, wow, Pete really. His heart is still so in this marriage. I will say Pete frickin' deserves better, but I also just appreciate his um, his heart, though. My heart soars in that scene every every time, and I come yeah. I come from a family of like firefighters. You do? I did not know that. Yeah, both my parents are volunteer firefighters. How have you not known this? <laughs> Sorry, guys. People listening in. I've known this guy for over a decade, and I did not know. Oh, I'm a shit friend. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> no, no worries at all. Both both my parents are, are volunteer firefighters, so no. this scene always kind of touches me in a way. I'm always just like, Pete. Oh, that's so interesting to know. That must be a really... That makes me really... Oh, now we need to... Okay, obviously not on this podcast episode, but now I'm so curious of your perspective on... Um, firefighter stories and things like that that's really cool absolutely although my parents don't watch twin peaks but every time there's like a fire in a movie or a tv show Uh i always think of them because every time in case anyone's wondering like there's not peeing in the background (laughs) just wine being poured just more wine as we (laughs) as we tell old fire stories of of yesterday's fire stories by the fireplace about firefighters (laughs) (laughs) um but no, so so every time I watch a movie or a television show with my parents and there's fire involved, they're always the ones to be like, well, that's not how it works. Well, actually, technically, like, if you were to open that door, you'd get backdraft and blah, blah, blah. I actually love when people like that are around so for particular annoying. topics because I know that people as like would be like, oh, you're just going to ruin the movie. But I, my dad would be the same way because he's a captain on a ferry. So anytime it's like a, a story that it's out at sea... He does the same thing. He's like, okay. He's like, well, that's not what you would do. Like, no, that's not, that's not how wave, that's not how the sea works or whatever. Right. That's so interesting though. But in a show where Jacques Renault walked 15 miles (laughs) hungover, I'll believe anything. Yeah. Anything will go in that case. Um, then we have, okay. Benjamin signs the flipping contract that he's been wanting so bad. Sure. His brother, Jerry would be proud. Um, contracts being signed and the Icelandic investor leaves with two girls because that's Ben's version of, you know, treating somebody. And this is the most cringy moment of the whole season. And he says he wants to meet the new girl because that's tradition and should have known Ben being the boss, which was finally insinuated mainly in this episode. No, Ben goes into the room and, um, okay, we're gonna go through the scene really fast because I don't want to talk about it because it's so cringy. Um, Ben goes into the scene, into the room, and he's the boss, and his daughter Audrey is there because she's technically the new girl, and of course they cut the scene really just with that, but Audrey sees her dad, and shit is fucked. <laughs> she sees him, but he doesn't see her, no! so to be continued, da da da. Yeah. Too big to you, but no, 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 no. Just this is awful. I ugh. and knowing Audrey, like she's been good at her game, and now she's like, holy shit. But we'll see where that goes. Um, 
now we have the final scene of the final episode of season one. <sighs> Coop and his lovely girl Diane, which I hope one day we get to meet, um, recording to her about how things are going good. They did a lot in getting forward with the case and that he was very happy that the Icelandic people were gone because now he can get a good night's sleep. But he goes, oh yeah, and he wants a glass of milk. Let's not forget. Of course. You know, but all seems well, but I knew obviously nothing was going to go well when it looked like it was only um, 30 seconds left of this <laughs> the episode. <laughs> he goes inside, he gets on the phone, and what is it? I think it's like Andy or someone saying like, no, 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 no. And he just didn't stay on the phone long enough because he had room service, but it wasn't room service. It was somebody... The guy that probably hood, like hits Jacoby's back like a plank of wood has a gun. <sighs> oh yeah, he finds Audrey's note. But more importantly, this episode ends with a bang. A literal bullet bang. And I'm very nervous. Okay, Cooper's got a bulletproof vest. Cooper's got a bulletproof vest. He's got a bulletproof vest. He's got a, he, he does. He's a, he's a, no, come on. He's like a proper detective. Like, no, he's got a pull for us. Cooper's been shot, guys. And that's the end of the flipping episode. To be continued. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah Palmer screams for Dill Cooper. Who knows? Who I'd knows? say so. Slightly 90s slow-mo, like, action shot. Like, it had that. <laughs> so slow-mo Sarah scream there. But yeah, that's the episode. Sorry, guys, that was an emotional one to get through for me. It was a lot. It is a lot. That is, there's so much happening. So much, and so little gets explained. Janine, thoughts, thoughts on this on this season finale episode. Overall thoughts. Totally transparent. I'm a little pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little pissed. I think it's because going into this show, a show that was live on television 20 plus years ago, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to find some answers in season one. As you just said, there's really no answers. I do love a good cliffhanger, but this final episode had so many cliffhangers, like with different things where I was like, oh, I'm like, oh my God. Like, okay, you couldn't give me just like, one answer? Like, I don't know. I can't think of any answers that I have had. Uh, what? Like, Waldo is dead. <laughs> That's a confirmation. Leyland is the one that smothered Jock. Okay. Uh, no. But if we're being all so serious, I still think if I put this whole season together, it's been awesome. And this final episode was a good... Um, conclusion and cliffhanger to finish it through so yeah great well janine for the last time this season <laughs> let's peek behind the red curtains and go behind the scenes on this week's episode yeah. so you asked about it a few times mm -hmm. This episode was both written and directed by our very own Mark 
Frost. Ah. Co-creator of Twin Peaks with our guy David Lynch. I was wondering if it was him because I know it's been a few episodes and like or he wrote throughout. So, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, he's obviously written a whole bunch of uh, episodes. However, this was the first and only episode that Mark Frost directed. Really? Absolutely. Well, good job, Mark Frost. He had a, a lot to handle. Oh, a whole lot. Uh, I will mention, though, that he did direct all of the Invitation to Love snippets. Oh. (laughs) And you can actually find full segments of Invitation to Love on YouTube. Hot diggity dog. (laughs) We will for sure be watching those at some point. Um, And this makes so much sense, right? Because Mark Frost, as I said from the beginning, David Lynch does all the weird, quirky, bizarro stuff. And Mark Frost, he's the soap opera guy. He does all the character relationships, these sincere moments. And this episode, if anything, feels like a soap opera. It feels like... Yeah, very telenovela, this episode. A hundred percent. Big fires going up. Yeah. Star-crossed lovers. People finding out the truth about people who are dead. Drugs being planted and blah, blah, blah. Drugs being planted. All this stuff. Murder. Chaos. All this stuff is very, very soap opery, And that's sort of, that is exactly where Mark Frost's forte is. Uh, and you mentioned a lot of the visual cues that happened in the episode. They're so good. <laughs> yeah, this was Mark Frost's doing. He seems to be really into those. The... Jacoby's eye turning into the roulette table, Hank's horns, Leo watching Montana on TV. All this stuff was the work of Mark Frost. Apparently, he really I'm a soft thing for that. Like any visuals were, yeah. Oh, I good. I love 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 that kind of stuff. Especially yeah. like I didn't even notice the heart necklace that you mentioned with the in the. I still the think it's a bit lumber. far-fetched, but like I do get it. It could be something that was discussed. I'm a firm believer of if you noticed something, it wasn't on accident. That's a good point. You know, yeah. so I, yeah, I, I imagine that that was done completely intentionally. Hmm. Um, that's, so that's, <laughs> that's, our, that's our guy Mark Frost for you. Uh, and I can't talk about this episode without actually mentioning the production designer, which I know that's super weird. We don't often give a shout out to the production designer, but this guy, Richard Hoover... What a guy. He was not the production designer from the start. He actually really? saw the pilot of Twin Peaks at the Telluride Film Festival. And he noticed Mark Frost's name in the credits. And he also had worked with Warren Frost previously. Warren Frost is, as I've said, uh, Mark Frost's father, mm-hmm. who also plays Doc Hayward on the show. Yeah. So Richard saw these two in the credits and thought, you know why don't I hit these guys up? I'll, I'll see if they need anything. And he also had realized that the show had lost its initial production designer. What? So he reached out to Mark and he was immediately hired to That's be on the so show. That's so interesting. And also, yeah, shout out to project, like production design in general because it doesn't get enough credit. I mean, props to... <laughs> pun intended. Um, <laughs> props. Props to basically making a fake makeshift shitty leo bomb (laughs) (laughs) yep and you know the gun placement with the shampoo like yeah 
<laughs> and and Blackie's little evil lair office oh, with yeah. like the super villain cameras set up. Yeah. I'm surprised we did cool not see little segue. I'm surprised we did not see more of the the dream room, like with the which I wonder, I know you can't say anything. I'm sure that wouldn't be the last time we see that room, but I'm shocked it was only really mainly that one time. So yeah, just wanted to say that. Good. Continue. We will, we will have to see. <laughs> um, but a lot of the things that you know he noticed when watching the pilot and then the show and then eventually becoming the, the main production designer, he noticed a lot of the same things that you noticed, Janine. Yeah. Uh, he noticed a lot of the red that was yeah. in this series. So you are not crazy. There is a lot of red and it is very intentional. Thank goodness. People uh, on the subway probably look at me and be like, what is she looking at? And I'm like, just looking for all the red in the room in the yeah. car yeah if you're on the one two three train it's <laughs> a lot of red um but so yeah so he noted how especially with blackie's outfit mm-hmm. how it had that stark contrast that stuck out amongst the red so going back to your question about james's hair yeah they they increased the hue and the saturation to really bring out the red and the earth tones in the series so I'm wondering if maybe, I don't think he darkened his hair at all. I think maybe you might have just noticed that his hair now looks darker in comparison to everything else because the saturation and hue have been increased. The way that was edited. That's interesting. I do think I'm definitely going to go back and replay a few snippets from the beginning episodes to the end and just get that color clarification for myself. <laughs> but okay, that's good to know. Absolutely. Okay. And another thing I've noticed that the Hayward's house mm-hmm. was actually intentionally designed not to stick out, to look very plain and boring. So there's a lot of like yellows and grays rather than the reds and the blacks and the oh, more deep earthy tones. Yeah. Um, and then one last little fun fact about uh, locations. The Packard Sawmill <laughs> was located in... Valencia Santa Clarita. And this was chosen because it was far enough from the tree line where they didn't have to worry about starting any forest fires. <laughs> Thank goodness they were thinking of that because I was I, I've watched this show six times now and I've never once thought, this wow. is dangerous. <laughs> but they filmed it, it was far enough from the tree line, they used treated wood and made sure that it burned in a controlled matter and firefighters were on site in case anything happened. Thank wow. goodness. Look out. Thank goodness. Top notch. Wow. Organized as hell. Um, but now, Janine, it's time to bite the bullet, baby. <laughs> but instead of biting bullets, you know what we're going to bite into, Janine? We got pie for the final episode. I'm going to get it now. We have lovely maple pie with ice cream, which is more of like an ice cream soup, but that's okay. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We left it in the fridge, so. It's cold, though. Um, And with this pie, we shall be diving in (laughs) to our last 
but certainly not least, legacy of the season, which is, and Janine, you've already called it out, we're talking about the legacy of cliffhangers. You bet we would, yes! Yeah! Better be. First things first, but this pie. Oh yeah. I actually like that it's melted ice cream in a way. It's kind of like having just a... It's like a little creamy pie. It's almost like my favorite kind of um, cake is the Trace Leches cake. Like the little condensed milk in it. Oh my gosh. High five for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's kind of what this is. Giving me the vibes. Anyway, podcast. (laughs) Sorry. We're distracted by food. We're like... We're like Dale Cooper being distracted by like a murder case. With yeah, and food if anyone and was involved, like if we recorded twenty minutes before we initially started, you would have just heard us eating pizza and <laughs> truffle parmesan fries, which were the best choice you could have mm. made. Like, oh my god, damn fine truffle fries. Mm-hmm. Um, so cliffhangers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Obviously, not an invention of Twin Peaks. Cliffhangers go all the way back to. Old serials where... Tales old as time. Absolutely. You can imagine, you know, the train shooting off the edge of the railroad and, oh, are they going to make it? Are they going to make the jump? Right? Yep. Um, old as time. But what Twin Peaks did with cliffhangers is they redefined what a cliffhanger could be, which was not just to say, hey, we're going to leave you hanging so that you tune in next you know, a few months from now when season two comes out, mm-hmm. they redefine what, what really what a what, what a cliffhanger could be, because there's so many dangling questions in this episode. Like if we were to actually list them, how how many would there be? So there's who shot Coop, which is the classic, right? Who shot Jr., which we mentioned in mm-hmm. in the show Dallas. Yep, clearly a reference to that. Um, so there's Who Shot Coop, mm-hmm. there's Who Clubbed, Jacoby, is Nadine okay, yeah. are Pete, Catherine, and Shelly okay, what's to become of James, oh, yeah, just gonna say what's of James. as he's going to jail, what's gonna happen to Audrey, mm-hmm. um, and all of them, yeah. but most importantly, the one question that they did not answer in the season finale was who killed Laura Palmer. Which is why I think I was essentially pissed overall. I really I really thought I was prepared to get an answer of that. I mean, I think you have insinuated and other people have insinuated to me who have seen the show and finished it. They've said to me, I know who killed Laura Palmer. So when people have told me that, I'm like, okay, they're not just messing with me. If I finish this show, I will then know. But season one does not give you that answer. And your experience is unfortunately not a unique one. Yeah, it's valid. (laughs) A lot of people were pissed when this show came out. When this episode aired, everyone sat down in front of their television screens in order to find out who killed Laura Palmer. And instead of answering that question... Mark Frost and David Lynch decided to raise, like, 30 more questions. F you to our audience viewers. <laughs> but that's exactly what it was. Yeah. It was kind of like saying, we don't care what your expectations were. 
Which I do like when actually shows come down to that. And that's really why this is this redefined cliffhangers. Because again, yeah. cliffhangers were used as a way to pique people's interest into carrying over into the next season. Yeah. And that's not to say that's not what's happening here. But clearly, Mark Frost and David Lynch had an idea of just being like, what if we just answered nothing? What if we yeah. just full steam ahead and just pure chaos? There's a unique beauty in like a writer's room that's like, F it. We're not obviously going for the numbers. We are going for authentic storytelling. Yeah. And it's not about... I think we maybe have mentioned this in the podcast before, and it's just a little side note. But... I think we as humans think we're supposed to, like, we only get satisfied by receiving answers and solutions to things. But it is really interesting as humans trying to learn that there's sort of a, that you can actually train yourself to feel satisfaction towards not having answers. Like, towards not having closure or not having, and that is something I've been learning on a personal level and also with this show and other things I've been watching in the past year in regards to cinema and TV shows. That, like, there's a genuine satisfaction in that watching something that is simply evokes emotion makes you feel something that's what david lynch has always been known for like he just what is it he calls it like or it's been known as pure cinema it's not about giving you an answer it's about giving you a feeling and whatever that feeling is and then you sit with it and you experience it i'm so proud of you you're starting to understand twin peaks (laughs) janine's doing a little dance right now yeah i mean i got pie i got uh, my best buddy and i got flipping a show that I've enjoyed to, you know, to get to experience in such a cool way. Absolutely. So, of course. So even though you're pissed, you're still having a good time. <laughs> it's like a good version of being pissed. That's the thing. Uh, but, 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 you know, again, like, this, this was just completely, completely new. This was, and people, I think people were initially pissed. Yeah. And there was huge backlash. But I think in that backlash, there was talk. There was discussions. People were getting hyped about this show. There was debate. And like it was the hot topic of conversation. Exactly. And again, this was before the internet. This was before we had Facebook and Twitter and YouTube videos with guys in front of green screens explaining how everything works. These were people writing into newspaper articles and magazines and comic books and stuff. So it's just so exciting to think about. Obviously, you know, neither one of us was there, but it's exciting to think about. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, cliffhangers are really an essential part to any drama TV show. Even sitcoms rely on cliffhangers. You have just a few examples. One of my favorites was... Uh, the Walking Dead's infamous who who did Negan kill? Did you ever watch The Walking Dead? Oh yes, I actually rewatching it with my roommate. Are uh, you really? With actually, yeah, we're rewatching it. We're only up to season four, um, but we never finished it from where I was up to currently. So we're like up to we know things from season nine. But yes, I have watched the show. So you remember the episode I was talking about? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Huge deal, big bad. Oh yeah. Kill someone off screen and you don't know who it is. Mm-hmm. Huge cliffhanger. Lost was infamous for this. Mm-hmm. Tons of tons of uh, season finale cliffhangers. Breaking Bad had a bunch. Game of Thrones. You ever watch Game of Thrones? Yes, I have. The Red Wedding. Oh yeah, never forget. Me and my mom watched that together. Never forget. <laughs> never forget. 
so to me, it's the difference between here's a cliffhanger, tune in next week versus here's a cliffhanger. Where do we go from here? That's a great way of putting it. Exactly. It's where do we go from here? And it's something that TV shows are experts at now, but Twin Peaks crafted this in a way that was so specific to, to the time period, to where they were at in history, especially for television. Where do we go from here? We have a murder case that has, the trail has seemed to run cold. We have all of our characters in some form of peril, danger, are they dead? Are they not dead? Where do we go from here? And that is the legacy that this season finale left behind. Holy hell. I mean, it is a lot to take in. But that I really, it, it does get me thinking how it was for viewers in 1992 or, you know, 1992, 93, 93, experiencing the show without much of a prominent internet presence. And basically, you know, it makes me think of the days in which you go in the morning down to your dining room and, or in the kitchen and you look at the newspaper for what the movie times would be in your local hometown. Like, and then you talk about Twin Peaks and I'm thinking to myself, like, how that must have been before an age in which TV viewers are used to the sort of comfort level of not having answers or things like that. I can't imagine the spark it started in that moment. And not knowing in that moment when you were living in it how much it was going to like turn things for other shows and movies and pop culture and all the things that we've covered in this whole season together, which is so cool. But Janine, uh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Another high five. Another high five. <laughs> uh, well, with that, Janine, yeah. it's time. It's time to bring you downtown for the the three. For the, as always, mm-hmm. our three favorite questions. I'm just finishing my pie. I'll be, I'll be right there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, it's a good cop, bad cop situation. I give you pie, and then I ask you the hard hitting questions. Mm-hmm. So first things first, Janine, what was your favorite scene in the episode? I'm going to eat my pie while you answer these questions. I know, you've been so good at not being... <laughs> okay. Ugh, usually, I notice I've had the consistent pattern throughout every time we record an episode together and you ask me these questions. I usually don't get too prepared because I like kind of thinking on the spot with these. But sometimes it's a little bit of a drag in my head. Okay. Favorite scene this episode... I'd say is Ben and Audrey scene. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, no, no. Not allowed. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Disqualified. Um, I'd say... Oh, I'd say actually the the Andy and Lucy scene. There's so many mm-hmm. dark scenes. I mean, I was going to say Catherine and, and Pete, but I still am not fully immersed into Catherine. I'm pretty sure maybe season two might convince me otherwise. Mm. But let's say, yeah, I mean, Lucy's actually been one of my favorite characters throughout the whole series. I love her voice. I love her personality. So, yeah, the Lucy and Andy scene was quite adorable. Hmm. And the fact that she actually figured out the clock tower in Easter Park. So, yeah. Our little Nancy Drew. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of my little Nancy Drew. 
um, who won the episode, who came out on top, who did the best, who wowed you the most? Um, who wowed me the most? Okay, I'm going to say two people. Okay. I hope I can get that passed. Um, Absolutely. There are no rules here. Come I know. On. We're like, eating pie on a podcast. <laughs> like, There's like, no rules here. Let's look at our little notebook of, book, like, of rules that don't exist. <laughs> um, okay, I'd say what, the person that shocked me, I think, the most was um, Leyland, I'd say. Like, I mean, oh, actually, no, because it, it makes sense when he was so much on the edge, how he, as I said, like, he got over the edge of that cliff in this with his instability but okay in one way it depends on how you perceive it i think that the person who is this silhouette all in black that has been doing a lot in one night um you know beating jacoby's back versus shooting cooper at his room service door like i think that person has won in getting shit done and being you know murdery or whatever like but then, if we're talking about shock factor, like, Nadine was the most shocking, like, or at least the most intense kind of character situation to deal with this episode. Ugh, I'm butchering question number two. I know it. But, ugh, repeat the question. <laughs> <laughs> who, who won the episode? Who, who came out on top? Blackie. Blackie. <laughs> I mean, she's running a she's running a good business. Wait, a good actually, business. Oh, I don't. I think this is the reason why I've been struggling. It's because I don't want to give it to her because I, Catherine. Catherine did win this episode. Yeah, she for sure won this episode. Catherine won this episode is what I meant to say because <laughs> she won her hearts. I was just doing what she was doing, and I was just like, I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking. And mm-hmm. last and certainly not least, and we still don't have a straight answer. <laughs> Who killed Laura Palmer? I had, when I was watching this episode yesterday, I was like, I had an idea. I was like, okay, maybe it could be this person. And then I forgot because there's so much happening in this episode. Like you said. <laughs> I don't think it's Leo. I... Okay. I'm going to, this is far fetched, but I, like I said earlier in this recording, I, Leyland. I know that's really next level, but he is the person that I thought of in that moment when he was like, when he was smothering Jacques and like he has been on edge about so many things. Like, I don't know, it wouldn't surprise me when someone's that unhinged. Sometimes like reality is warped in their eyes and all that stuff. So like, yeah, let's say Leyland, which is a really good dramatic answer for (laughs) (laughs) the final episode of season one. Okay. Raising eyebrows at Leland. Sad burrowed eyebrows usually, but they're raised. Sad burrowed puppy dog eyebrows. Raised on the outer corners, but burrowed in the center for sad. He's got good brows. He does. Ray Weiss has good brows. And good hair. Yeah. Fantastic hair. Oh my goodness. Anyway. Folks, (gasps) this is it. We're at the end of season one of not only Twin Peaks, but of welcome to Twin Speaks. Oh my gosh. Wait, I'm going to say it. Look at us. Look at us. Look at us. Look at us. Wow. Recording in person. Finishing up a whole season of television. Podcasting about it. We did I didn't realize, like, I, 
really am so proud of us. Like, this yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Thank you for actually asking me to join join this. Like, it's really... It, it made my year better. It, you know, widened my horizon when it came to so many different things to learn about. Not just, like, a show, but, you know, different subjects, the legacies you've brought up, and things like that. It's awesome. I'm... Thank you so much. Thank you for agreeing to be on the show. <laughs> this has been like, this has been sort of a thought baby of mine for so long and I've wanted to, to do this. And when you said, oh, I've never watched Twin Peaks before, I was just like, Janine, like the writing is in the stars. It's perfect. Like it's it's all here in front of us. And, and you've had so much patience with all of my my ramblings and my and my Geneva gotta record we gotta record um likewise but but you 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 bring so much life to this podcast and it's been so much fun and I and I'm I'm looking forward to season two and to showing you even more of this weird and wacky world me too I'm still so ready to be immersed in it and I'm just hoping yeah I'm glad that you could see me as a worthy co-host of course it's my honor it's been an honor well folks Stick around for season two. It'll be coming. I don't know. Eventually, yeah, we got a plan we've it, got, to be honest. <laughs> we've got to figure stuff out. We both have jobs and responsibilities now, but I don't know how long Janine's going to be able to go without knowing the, the fate of our dear Dale Cooper. Frustration will tell. But treat yourselves kindly. Go out, get some pie. And, and some wine and thank you so much for listening yes thank you guys remember to bask in the wonderfully weird always always and we'll uh we'll see you next time see you soon bye one more one more <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Twin Speaks is edited by Janine Purse and produced by Mike Dowd with music by RJ Mills Follow us on Instagram at welcome to twin speaks, or you can email us at welcome to twin speaks at gmail.com.